Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Thanks. You can just take that back to the back. Thank you. Thank you, Dina. So, good morning. If you've been here throughout the summer kind of, kind of flirting with Living Hope, trying to figure out if this is where you want to land, uh, let me just go ahead and tell you that uh, you don't have to think about that anymore. Just go ahead and land here. Uh, you're good. Uh, if you've been, uh, if you're a regular Living Hoper that has been uh, out doing your summer thing, welcome back. And uh, just uh, let's get into the groove of things again. If you guys are like me, um, fall gets a bit crazy, and, and especially maybe if you've got kids and you've got events and school and all of that kind of stuff, it can get really crazy, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, I need this. I need this in my life, even though when I look at my schedule, my schedule tells me I need sleep on Sunday morning. And, and But what my soul says is, I need this. I need to stay connected to God's word and to God's people. I need this connection. And so, um, so just dive in. Like, like, just make this a part. Like, I've, I've been trying to develop some healthier habits. That's my lifelong thing, is like trying to develop healthier habits. And, and, uh, and so sometimes I, I develop good ones, and sometimes I flirt with them and back off, whatever, you know. Uh, but... For those of you who are like, I need a, in the midst of the chaos this fall, some healthy stuff in my life to keep me grounded, uh, pass on the kale and just choose church. Like, just do, do, do that, right? Um, I promise there will be more value for your life from this than there will be from kale. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a coincidence that it rhymes with hail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's let's just do that. So I'm I'm really excited to dive into. Oh, let me before I dive in, let me just say this: if you haven't heard, uh, Jamie and I got really good news. We met with our doctor this week, and cancer is all gone. And uh, yeah, yeah. So really, really, really thankful about that. Of course, of course, you know she'll she'll get a checkup every six months for the next few years, and make sure it stays gone and all that kind of stuff, but uh, we're really excited about that news. And so just thank you for all your prayers and support, and those of you who have been bringing by cards and gifts and meals and all, all that, that, that's just been awesome. We feel extremely loved, so, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, there was one other thing. Oh, I was going to say this. This is, this is so random, but I just wanted to say it, because um, I think you guys have this impression that like during the week, my mindset is like, just leave me alone. Um, and, and, and that's sometimes true, um, but, but in the spirit of healthier habits, can I just say that uh, my new happy place, and one of the reasons that we purchased this house that we purchased, 
My new happy place is my porch. I love my porch so much. If, you've, if you're driving around town, you probably often see me out there uh, reading or smoking or something like that. And, and uh, yeah, for those of you, I smoke cigars, so sorry. Uh, get over it. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> anyway, so but I, I just want to say this, that if you see me on the porch, uh, that is uh, me saying, uh, join me on the porch. If you have time to join me on the porch, uh, feel free to stop and just sit with me and talk and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's not a, um, you know, I promise I won't give you the finger. Although I see a lot of fingers at that intersection, by the way, <laughs> a lot, a lot. That intersection is something. So anyway, uh, yeah, feel free to just stop by and join and chat. Um, that, that, that invitation is always welcome. So, all right, let's dive into this. We're uh, starting a new series uh, called Reading Romans Backwards, and I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about it for a lot of reasons. Well, I'll, let me just tell you my, my personal history with Romans. It's a little bit sketchy because I don't know if you've taken... i got to get these cords out of my way. I don't know if you've taken the time to read Romans uh, in your spiritual journey yet, but... Um, it's a little bit of an intimidating book. It's a little bit intimidating. It's, it's, it's very, um, is academic the right word? It's just heady. It's real heady. And, and, um, and, and Paul's language that he uses when he writes this book uh, can be a bit confusing. It's a lot of, it feels a little circular at times. You, you got to kind of go back and what was he saying there? And, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, but it is, in my opinion, uh, and this is a recent opinion of mine within the last few years. Um, I think Romans is the single greatest um, document of philosophy in the history of man, bar none, bar none. It is, it is at the top of the pile. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing book. It's a level of philosophy that could have been written today by the greatest thinkings of our generation, and it is it is just absolutely amazing. Now, my history with that book has not been that, I haven't been that much in love with it because of, I've always, I've always just been kind of scared of it. It was kind of like, uh, if there were two books in the Bible I was a little bit scared of, it was like Romans and Revelation. It was those two, it was like, it was, I get in there and I get lost in the weeds and, and I'm not sure exactly what's happening and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so I just kind of avoided it. And plus I had, when one of the things I heard when I first moved here was that the previous pastor had preached a series on Romans that lasted about a year and a half. And, 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 and I, and by the way, I've done my own year. I did a series through the book of Mark that lasted a year and a half. So, so there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it is one of those books, if you preach it verse by verse, it'll take you a year and a half. I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a lot there to cover. We're not going to do that. I'm going to give you kind of an overview over about the next 10 weeks, a couple months of, of the book of Romans. And, and so it's not going to be verse by verse. We're going to hit the major themes and, and, and do that sort of thing. But we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to start at the end and kind of work our way to the middle. We're going to end beginning back to the middle with this book. And the reason is, is because... That one of the sad things about this, this beautiful, brilliant letter that Paul wrote is that we have distilled it down to nothing more than a theological document, a theological treatise that Paul wrote, and it is not a theological treatise. That we look oftentimes at Paul as probably the first official theologian, big thinker, trying to figure out God and salvation, all that kind of stuff of the church, and, and while there's some truth to that, Paul was not first and foremost a theologian. Paul was first and foremost a pastor. He was a pastor to people. 
And the letters he wrote were not about theology, they were about people. That, and, and this is the trap of Christianity, if you're not careful, that it's really easy to get into what I believe, what my doctrine is, what my denomination is, you know, and what separates me from other Christians about my beliefs and all that kind of, It's really easy, really tempting to kind of get into that world, you know, approaching the Scripture in that way and lose sight of the fact that these scriptures, even if they spell out some doctrine and some beliefs for us, are first and foremost about real-life people living a real-life faith in a real-life world. That's what they're first and foremost. If your theology is, is, is nothing more than intellect, it is absolutely useless. If you can't live out your thought theology with your neighbors and with your family and with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it is useless. It is absolutely useless. So the reason I want to start at the end today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 16, is that because the end, and this is the part of Romans, it's one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. The more I read it, the more I love it. But it's one of the most skipped chapters in the Bible because it's one of those, you guys know when you read through the Bible, sometimes you come across those chapters that, that read like the telephone book that are just like name after name after name after name, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, skim, 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 skim. You know, we, I do it. You can raise your hand and say you do it too. It's fine. Um, we can be, it's okay to confess that parts of the Bible are not just boring, but crazy boring, right? Like crazy boring, okay? But there are, but, but this is one of those books, this is one of those chapters that because it's got this list of, of names in it, we tend to skim over it, and there's some really amazing stuff in this that I want to hit. And, and the reason I want to start at the end of this little letter, uh, actually a pretty sizable letter that we call Romans, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, is because it gives us the context for which he was writing that letter. By, by, he goes through this list of greetings. Hey, I want you to greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so and greet so-and-so. And it gives us the context that this, this amazing theology, philosophy, all this kind of stuff that he lays out in this book, this life in Christ that he lays out, it wasn't just sent in, it, it wasn't like a blog post by Paul, just, you know, kind of throw it out into the ether and see what happens. No, no, it was meant for a specific church with very specific people who had very specific gifts, who had very specific challenges, just like any church, just like any church. Our church is not like the Methodist church across town. It's not like Dixon Community Church. It's not like Grace. It's not like Calvary Chapel. It's not like any of the other churches in town. That does not mean we're better. It just means we are a specific group of people that join together with a specific set of challenges and a specific set of gifts that God has, has orchestrated in this really beautiful way. And they could say the same thing about their churches, right? There's no cookie-cutter way to do church. Thank God there's no cookie-cutter way to do church. I remember uh, some 12 years ago when I was interviewing for this job, and the elders or the, the search committee at that time asked me, uh, you know, what would be your, your plan for ministry? Like kind of lay out what your five-year plan would be or something to that effect. And I just said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, I can tell you what I've done in other places that worked, but every church is different, and i got to get in here and... and learn this community and learn these people in this church and all that kind of stuff before God begins to lead in the directions that he's going to lead. But there's no cookie-cutter 
way of, of just doing church. And, and the Bible, and I think it's really important for us to remember that Paul, oftentimes when you read his letters, letter to letter, different letters, sometimes it seems like he's giving contrary advice. He tells one church one thing, he tells another church another thing. It feels like what's going on there, and what's going on there is that there's no cookie-cutter church. He's writing to different churches going, you know, in your situation, this is, what, this is the way you need to do church. He writes to another church and he goes, in your situation, this is probably what's best for you. And, and, and we have to kind of approach things that way. We want to systematize. We've we got these Western minds, and we want to systematize everything. We want to give everything a chart and a plan and a, and a life verse and just kind of send it out, right? And it just it doesn't always work out that way. And so uh, we're, we're going to kind of dive into that and see this morning. I love this. I love this book. And I hope, at, you know, if, if a couple years ago I preached my other scary book, which was Revelation, and I said my, my goal in doing that was to like, uh, un, what did I say? Like, unscary, un something, um, uncrazy, un that's what it was. Uncrazy the book of Revelations and, and make it practical. And I, and I think we accomplished that. And I, I felt really good about that series. And I hope we do the same thing in this series, too, to kind of take Romans out of the academic clouds and bring it into real life and go, this is how we live this beautiful faith that we've been given. And, and so, anyway, we're going to do that. Um, so let's just start with chapter 16. Uh, Dina so graciously opened us up with uh, Paul's opening in chapter 1 of that letter. Let's see what he says in chapter 16. <clears throat> Snapple. No Snapple fact on this one, sorry. All right. Oh, let me just say this too before I get started. If you're looking for, like if you want to dive deep into a more verse-by-verse study over the next several weeks as we kind of go through this during your own time, I cannot rec- recommend these books highly enough. They're a little devotional commentary. It's called um, Paul for Everyone, Romans one, Romans Part 1 and Part 2. And it's by N.T. Wright. And these are a fantastic like devotional way to work through. You know, every chapter is just uh, you know, a, a page or two, a couple pages. And so uh, this, honestly, it's the first time I've ever read through Revelation. And when I got to that beautiful chapter 8, which we'll get to someday, just broke into tears. It was so beautiful. And so, um, anyway, that's a great uh, resource. I'll put that on the Facebook page this week so you can link to it. Um, Romans chapter 16, let's start with verse 1. <coughs> Paul says this. This is the end of the letter. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people including me. And I want to stop right there and just say, uh, there was a, a very strategic reason that I asked Dina to read to us uh, this morning, because Phoebe here, as Paul, as Paul kind of lets us in on, on, on little behind-the-scenes fact of, of the letter to Romans, is it, she was the letter carrier. He says, I'm committing her, her to you. I'm sending her to you. She was the one who carried Paul's letter from the city of Corinth where he wrote the letter, all the way to Rome. And it was a long journey back in those days. They didn't have buses or trains or, or any of those. You know, they didn't have the high-speed rail in Europe that they got now and all that kind of stuff. It was a long trip. And she either did it on foot or she took a ship around the, the boot of you know, Italy and all that kind of Whatever way she did, it took her a while to get there. And, and he tells us a few things about her. He says that she's a deacon in the church. She's one of the leaders of the church. She, um, uh, she is a benefactor of many people, which was a, a kind of a high honor back in this day to be called a benefactor. And there were a lot of women 
<coughs> excuse me, in the Roman world who were considered benefactors. And what they were, were they were people with some means. They had wealth. They, were, they either had wealth because they inherited wealth from their husbands or from their fathers or something like that, or they had wealth because uh, they were businesswomen. Phoebe was probably a businesswoman, a strong-minded businesswoman who at that point, it was probably re- a regular uh, task of hers to take her business to Rome and do business in Rome and then come back to where she lived. And Paul was like, you're going to be going to Rome. You, you know the church. You know how I think. You're one of my partners in the gospel. I want you to take this letter to the church in Rome. And the way letters worked back in that day, again, they didn't email. There was no uh, you know, USPS or anything like that. They hand-carried these letters that would be written. And it was, very, it was a very beautiful, like a rare thing to actually get a letter from someone. It was considered, it was almost like you were receiving that person when you got a letter from, from in fact, that, that continues way on until just a couple hundred years ago. Uh, when you read through some of those early, the early uh, like the founding fathers of our country and stuff like that, we have all of their letters to everybody and anybody because everybody kept every letter. It was like so valuable to get a letter from someone because it was like, again, it was like receiving them into your into your house or whatever to get that letter. And so Paul would send his letter to these different cities and to these different churches and stuff like that, and he would send a letter carrier to carry that letter. And the job of that letter carrier was not just to deliver, sign here and walk away. The job of that letter carrier was, when you get there, read the letter. Read the letter. And not only read the letter, spend some time with me. I'm going to read it through with you. We're going to rehearse this. We're going to, I want you to emphasize uh, you know, my joy and my happiness in this part. When you get to this part, I want you to get a little tense because I'm not very happy with the way things are going. And I want you to read it this way. And, and so it was rehearsed and it was that sort of thing. And so the very first time any church in the world heard these words that we call Romans, they were read by a woman. Read by a woman. A beautiful, strong gospel, spirit-filled woman just like Dina, right? Just like Dina, that would stand up and say, okay, here's, here's, the, here's what Paul sent me to say to you. And, and it was almost performed. It would, have been, it would have been practiced, and and she would have known how to emphasize exactly what Paul told her to emphasize and all that kind of stuff, this beautiful thing, all right? So let's keep going. It says this. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. This was a power couple in the early church. Uh, we read about them in the book of Acts as well. Uh, they, were, they were great teachers, both of them, and, and just a, a really tremendous couple. Um, there was this thing that happened. The church in Rome had been around for a while, and, but when it was first started in Rome, it was mainly started with uh, Jewish. Most of the congregation was Jewish. They started in the, in the synagogues and then kind of worked their way out into belief in Christ. And when they did that, uh, the church was growing and some Gentiles were coming in, but it was mostly Jewish. But then this thing happened in, in kind of the middle part of the first century where the emperor, the, the Caesar, got um, upset with the Jewish people and kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Kicked them all out. And so he kicks them all out. They all go to different countries or different cities and different countries and stuff like that. And then a new Caesar, a new ruler, a new emperor comes along. He's not so crazy mad at the Jews and the Jews come back in. But now when they come back in, which is where we kind of pick up this letter, uh, the majority of the church is now Gentiles. And now are there these Jews that are starting to filter back into the church. 
And Priscilla and Aquila would have been that. They had done ministry in other cities with Paul because they had been kicked out of Rome, and now they're back in Rome because they were allowed back in. And they're kind of the heads of the Roman church. And so, uh, and he also says, he says, greet also the church that meets at their house. So house churches scattered around Rome. This chapter that we're going to read covers, we think there's probably four or five different house churches uh, included that Paul's talking. He would have known about all of them because he kept informed. It was amazing how he kept informed of how everything was going on in different parts of the world. But four or five different house churches, they probably, you know, probably 20 to 40 people in each church. So you're talking no more than maybe 150 Christians in Rome at this point. And so Paul with a group that size, he knows a lot of them. He's heard about a lot of them, or he's met a lot of them in his travels. Then he says, greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Paul's first convert in his missionary journeys in that province of Asia that we would now call Turkey, right? The very first. You remember the first person you led to Christ? Remember the first? You'll never forget that person. Maybe you check in with him once in a while, and you go, you know, how's things going with your faith and you know, that sort of thing. This is Paul. He, he remembers. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. I'm not sure exactly who Mary is. I'm not sure if it's some, one of the Marys from the Gospels. It might be, but we just don't know. There were a lot of Marys around back then. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I, went, uh, before I was, uh, Andronicus and Junia, this couple, a uh, primary married couple that uh, were just beautiful apostles of Jesus Christ. Apostles back in that time were people who had saw Christ resurrected firsthand and had been commissioned to do work, sent out on mission for him. That's what apostles were. And so this beautiful couple that was serving God in, in really beautiful ways, and they were there in Rome too at this point. Great Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus would have been, um, uh, we, we believe, a, um, a high-up official in the Roman government. And so, while, while he, he doesn't say greet Aristobulus, he says greet those of the household of Aristobulus. So uh, being a wealthy man, he had a big household with lots of servants, lots of slaves or whatever. And a lot of the people in his household had become believers. So you see Christianity beginning to infiltrate even the, the, the higher echelon of Roman citizenry and stuff like that, even at this early point in, in the faith. Greet um, Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household, again, another household situation. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet, verse 12, greet uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, uh, two women whose names mean dainty and delicate. Dainty and delicate. And then this is what Paul says after he says, greet, don't, greet dainty and delicate. Those women who work hard in the Lord. They might be dainty and delicate, but man, they get to it. They work hard. I love that. And he says, greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. A lot of women in this list. Very, you know, the, the church was very integrated in, in, in ways of race, but in ways of gender, in ways of class, all kinds of ways like that. And then the, I love this little verse. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now, the reason I love this verse is because Rufus is this guy in Rome, right? And um, 
We hear about Rufus one other time in Scripture, and it's in Mark's Gospel. At the end of Mark's Gospel, when Jesus has been arrested and tried and beaten, and he's on his way to the cross in Mark chapter 15. And by the way, Mark wrote his gospel to the church in Rome. Okay, keep that in mind. Mark writes his gospel to the church in Rome. And in Romans 15, starting with verse 21, it says this, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. So Mark throws this little detail in there about Greek, you know, I'm sorry, Mark throws this detail that, that this guy, Simon, who carried Jesus Christ, he's like, you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why would he say that? That's such a random thing to say, but it's because he's sending it to the churches in Rome. They know Alexander and Rufus because Alexander and Rufus are right there with him. And then Paul, here in his letter to the Romans, he says this, greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother who's been a mother to me. This guy, Rufus, his dad carried Jesus cross. Isn't that amazing? It's such an amazing little detail. detail. His, his dad is the one who carried Jesus' cross. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, <clears throat> and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's like there was a great affection in the early church, a great. Now we we have a pretty good affection here. We got we do a lot of hugging and you know that stuff. We're not a lot of holy kissing happening. You know here it's not not so much a part of our culture. And and I'm up for it if you guys are up for it. But it might be a little weird, you know. But but um, <laughs> we, we you know we just want to be like Jesus. So so um, but like it, but but it just this idea that there was affection there. There was great affection there. You know even still in, in different parts of the world, very common for people to greet each other with a kiss. Even in parts of our society, very common for people to greet each other with a kiss and that sort of thing. But just this idea that this is not just somebody that is like, shake your hand, nice to meet you person. It's somebody that I have great affection for, great care for. When, when my kids come in the room and give me a hug, I, I always bend down and kind of kiss them on top of the head, right? That sort of thing. It's, it's, it's that level of affection. These are my brothers and sisters. They're not just people I happen to attend church with. They mean something to me. And it says, all the churches of Christ, Paul says, all the churches of Christ send greetings. All the churches that I've been traveling around to, that I've been visiting, they all send their greetings to you. Why? Because this is the gospel taking place in the belly of the beast, right in Rome. And the, and the, the rest of the Christian world is so proud of the work that the Roman church is doing. They're like, keep it up. We're proud of you. Keep it going. Then Paul gives this little, little teaching. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. That's not something that we do a lot of talking about in modern day church. We don't do a lot of teaching around the concept of keep away from them, right? We, like to, we want to be a church that's welcoming, that's generous, that's forgiving, that's loving, all that kind of stuff. We want, we want that atmosphere. But he says, watch out, those, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles. He's talking about other brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking about the people out in Rome that, are, that have no concept of, of Christianity or whatever. He's talking about people inside the church that are constantly causing divisions or trying to teach things contrary to what you heard me teach. He's like, those people, yeah, they're not helping you. Keep away from them. 
keep away from them. We need to do, I think, sometimes a little bit better job of, of in love and gently correcting one another. Why? Because, I don't, know, I don't know if you feel this, I hope you do, but I take very seriously the witness of Christ in our community. Very seriously the witness of Christ in our community. And there are times when I see, uh, and it doesn't happen very often, very, very rarely, but occasionally I'll see someone who might be loosely connected to our church just behaving poorly in our community in a way that does not bring good reputation to the cause of Christ. And I think we need to do a better job of, of putting our arm around those people and go, let me show you what the scriptures say. The scriptures say when you go out into the world, this is the way you represent Christ. And I, and I just want to ask you, do you think what you just did did that? Not that I hate you, whatever, but you need to dial it down, stop listening to talk radio, whatever you got to do, right? Dial it down and just, just represent the Lord in a little bit better way than what you're, you're currently doing. And those are hard conversations to have, but they're worthwhile conversations to have because one or two people behaving badly in our community can do great damage to the cause of Christ. Great damage. And our work is too important. The work of Christ is too important to allow a couple of yahoos to derail it. We need to get out there and we need to maintain some semblance of what it looks like to live in Christ amongst ourselves. Not beat each other up, not tell, you know, not, not go, what, you know, cussing each other out or whatever, and nothing, nothing like that. Not kicking each other out necessarily or anything like that, but let's just have a little bit more honor for the cause of Christ that would, have us, that would cause us to have some conversations that say, tell me why you did that, why you said that. Start there, rather than just attacking. Tell me why. Tell me why you did that, why you said that. Help me understand what your reasoning was for going and doing what you just did or saying what you just said. And then if it doesn't make sense with what we hear in the gospel, then let's have a conversation around how that could have been done better. Why? Because the cause of Christ is too important to see it derailed like that. So he says this, he goes, For such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be, listen to this, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I wonder if you really, like if we were to do a little self-survey in the room today, um, just kind of in your own head, are you wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil? Or are you a little bit too knowledgeable about what is evil? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I think I'm a little bit too knowledgeable about what's evil. I've heard other, you know, uh, ministry leaders, you know, kind of brag about the fact that they intentionally dive into really wicked areas of life in their communities just so they know what uh, going on. I'm going I'm to do some porn investigation just so I know what's out there, right? Let me just save you the trip. It's, it's, it's evil and it's demonic. Just, just go ahead and stay away from that, right? Just, just go you, you don't need to research that. You don't need to research that. And sometimes I think we, we have set up our lives in such a way where we compromise the way that we live. Now, I think we can be so holy that we're not any earthly good. You guys know what I mean? I think we can, we can cut ourselves off from the world so much that we're no good to the world. 
But at the same time, I think it's healthy for us to recognize what is evil and just go, okay, I don't need to be over there. I don't need to engage in that. I don't need to see that. I don't need to, you know, whatever. Like, just, just go, go. I, I want to be, sometimes it's refreshing to me <clears throat> when I find out about some evil thing that I had no idea existed. <laughs> you, you know what that feeling? Like, oh, I was actually innocent about that thing, you know? That sort of, like, and Paul encourages, like, be wise about what is good. Like, increase your wisdom about the good things that are going on in society, about the good things that the church is doing, about the good things that you could join in with, partner with our city or our county or whatever, the good thing. Be wise about those things. Be innocent about what's evil. Then he says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace. It's like kind of throwing back to all those people who are causing all those divisions. Yeah, I know all these divisions sometimes take place in the church and they're, you know, it gets ugly and it threatens the unity of the church and all this kind of stuff, but just know this. The opposite of that, the opposite of that division and that bickering and all that kind of stuff, the God of peace, he's soon going to crush Satan. He's going to crush your enemy under your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, you would think that's a good place to end, but he doesn't end quite right there. He goes on and, and we get... Some people on his side of the letter, some people in Corinth that are with him sending the letter, are like, hey, tell him I said hi too. And so, so then verse 21, we get, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And then there's this great little line, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, and my hand is super tired, greet you in the Lord, right? Like, so, so Paul was like dictating this letter and, and this guy Tertius is the one who wrote it, and he puts in his own little line. He's like, I, I, I'm telling you hello too. And then Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, he must have hosted the church there, send you his, sends you his greetings. And Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus send you their greetings. Now, the thing about Erastus is that we've the archaeologists have actually dug up a big stone that had the inscription with the name of Erastus on it. We actually have proof that this guy actually existed and was indeed uh, kind of like the city treasurer of Corinth, which is really interesting. Like, again, the gospel is not just the gospel for the poor. It's the gospel to people in all different walks of life. And even at this early stage of the church, people in very high levels of government are starting to embrace Christ and join the church. And so what an interesting double life to kind of leave. You have this very public life side of you, and then you have this very private secret life where you're, where you're following Christ and meeting in secret in homes and things like that. He's, like, he's like kind of like the Christian Batman, right? And so, um, so yeah, just very, very interesting there. So this is what I want to do. <clears throat> the big point I want you to get today is that unity is difficult but powerful. Unity is difficult but powerful. Uniformity is easy but useless. Uniformity is easy but useless. A lot of times people think that when, when we're building up churches, we're trying to build a uniform congregation, make everybody the same. And, and if you walk into a lot of churches across our country, you would see that. <clears throat> you would see that. You would see churches that are almost entirely made up of wealthy people or churches that are made up almost entire of kind of uh, struggling class people, uh, or churches made up in almost entirely of Koreans, or entirely of African Americans, or entirely of Caucasians, and no mixing. Everything's very uniform. Everybody thinks the same. Churches made up entirely of Republicans. Churches made up entirely of Democrats. And those 
churches are called fake churches by the Republican churches, right? And, and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and so you just, you, every, we tend to separate, you know, it's been said before that the most segregated hour of the week is the Sunday morning worship hour. I'm really happy to, to say that I think for the most part, our church butts up against that pattern. That we have, we could have more diversity here, but we have some pretty good diversity here. We have some people who are doing really well financially and maybe business owners and things like that. We have some people who are, who are struggling and, you know, just paycheck to paycheck and we, we get that, and, but we're all, we all love each other. We're worshiping together. We have, we have people who are, who are Caucasian. We have people who are Hispanic. We have people who are African-American. We have people who are just African. We have people who are, uh, you know, all Asian and all different walks of life and, and, uh, and, and a good mix of men and women and all that kind of stuff. We have, we have a, in fact, our denomination, which tends to be, by the way, a pretty white denomination, uh, our denomination reached out to us at once a couple years ago and, and, and asked like, how we do diversity so well. And I was like, oh, do we do diversity well? I was like, like okay, I guess, I guess this is what they consider well, you know, you know 75% white. And so, um, but, um, <laughs> but we do. I mean, we, we try. I think, I think our congregation tends to be a pretty good snapshot of our community. It tends to be a pretty good snapshot of our community. Could it be better? Of course it could be better. But we're not trying to build a church here that is uniform. We don't want everybody to be the same. I don't want all of you to think the same. There are some pretty, there are some beliefs that I hold pretty high that some of you disagree with, and I'm actually okay with that. I love the challenge. <clears throat> I love the pushback. I love the you going, are, are you sure that's what you believe? Are you sure about that? Are you sure? You know, these kind of things that maybe fundamental, you know, I always like to say we put the fun back in fundamentalism, you know, um, that pretty fundamentalist churches believe, and maybe some of you are like, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I can go with that idea. And we've had, you know, conversations around those and, you know, meals around those, those concepts, and I, I love that stuff because I love being challenged. We don't all have to agree on everything. This is all we ask you to agree on. This is it. Ready? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he died for your sins, that he invites you into a beautiful life with him and the Father, and he's going to come back someday. If we can agree on that, everything else is just, you know, it doesn't really matter that much. If we, can keep, if we can agree on those things, we'll be fine. Let's major on the major and minor on the minors. I love a good argument as much as the next guy and love kind of debating over certain issues. And I, I think, I, you know, I'm, I'm weird that way. I, like, I think that stuff is kind of fun. But at the end of the day, if you disagree with me on something that I think is a pretty clear thing, but it's not that thing that I just talked about, we can still be brothers and sisters. It's just you're wrong. <laughs> no, <I'm> just, right? <laughs> just <teasing. laughs> We can still be brothers and sisters, though. Like, like, we can still do ministry together, and we can still, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's a really, we, we, we need to get back. Do you remember when the world look, used to look like that a little bit? Remember, like, again, you know, we used to live in a world where you didn't have to agree on every little detail of an agenda. You could disagree and still hang out with each other. You could disagree and still enjoy a meal together or go play a round of golf together or go see a movie together or go watch a game or you know, something like that. You could disagree about things that maybe you, you were pretty passionate about and still, still call that person a friend that you disagreed with. And, that's, and I'm going to tell you, one of the most beautiful things, and we need to emphasize this more than we do because it's a major selling point. But the church, 
is one of the few places left in our society where that can happen. It's one of the few places left in our society where that can happen. You know what I love about this church is that we're very different. Some of you come from backgrounds of, of Catholicism. Some of you come from backgrounds like Baptist backgrounds. Some of you Lutheran backgrounds or Presbyterian or or maybe you come from an evangelical free church background like, like our denomination is or whatever. Uh, some of you just heard that we have a denomination. You're surprised. It, it's, not a big it's, not, it's not that big of a deal to us, actually. But, um, but like all, you know, we come from all, some of you come from no background at all. Parents never went to church. They never took you to church. This is all brand spanking new to you. You're wondering why once a month we're eating crackers and juice. You're, you're like, what's going on here? And, and, and just... All, all of that. Some of you come from a hardcore kind of atheist background where you're just like you know, almost uh, militant against the idea of organized religion. And, but something was appealing when you know, some friend tricked you into coming to church one day and, and, and you got here and something was appealing and it started to grow and flourish into something that you called faith. We come, we come, some of you are hardcore right-wing people and some of you are hardcore left-wing people. Uh, different politics are gathered in this room and we worship together and we hug each other around the neck and we call each other brothers and sisters and we support and encourage one another when we're going through hard times and we don't put each other through the filter of do you agree on everything exactly the way I think about everything. The only filter that we use is the filter of Jesus Christ. And name me another place in our society today where that happens. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. And this is one of the few beautiful places where that can happen. We need to sell that a little better than we sell it, amen? We need to let people know that there's a place where peace actually exists if you're willing to participate in it. Peace actually exists. For those of you in the room that are, that are, are like, I'm not so sure about church. Maybe you're one of those that's kind of been flirting with us this summer and trying to figure out if you, know, you want to be a part of a church and and I just invite you into a life of faith that can be and should be really beautiful. Really beautiful. Now, a moment of confession. Is it always beautiful? No. Because you guys are here. <laughs> and me, and me, right? Because we're all human, and, and, and sometimes we do dumb things, and sometimes we say dumb things, and sometimes we, we are insensitive, and sometimes we're overly sensitive, and, you know, whatever. That happens. That happens. But we've got this foundation of the gospel that keeps bringing us back to true north. We might get off a little bit, and, you know, things might get a little wonky once in a while, but we've got this true north, this gospel that kind of keeps bringing us back. And we're pretty good about going, I was kind of off. I maybe shouldn't have reacted that way. Sorry about that. Please forgive me. And we're pretty good about that, right? And that, again, it's just this beautiful, beautiful place. And if you're looking for, I know, like here's what I think. I, I think it won't be hard for you to find the truth of Jesus Christ and how he can change your life. I don't think it'll be hard for you to find that in this place. Probably most of your reservations are about, do I really want to start calling myself a Christian? Because most of the Christians I know are jerks. And I just want to say, I think you, if you're here, you, you may have found a place that, that goes against, kind of bucks that trend. Again, we're not perfect, but I think we're doing pretty good. I think, I think, I think we're, we're heading in the right place. So give us a try. Give us a try. I think you'll find a beautiful, beautiful community here. We don't ask you to think 
the way I think or the way the other pastors or leaders around here think. We don't ask you to think the way the person sitting next to you thinks. Think the things you think. Just kind of submit your thoughts to the Word, to, to the Scripture, and to give the Holy Spirit to, hey, if you need to change anything about the way I think about life and about politics or about you know, anything in general, the way I do family, if you need to change anything about the way I, you know, my worldview, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to kind of work on me and change that. But we're not going to force it on you. We're not going to force it on you. Just know that if you're looking for truth and if you're looking for hope, you found it in Jesus Christ. And if you're looking for a group of people to walk towards that hope with, you found it in living hope. You found it here. And uh, I love that about this church. Paul often prayed these uh, uh, interesting little blessings or prayers. I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. I'm wrapping it up right now. He prayed these little blessings, uh, and I want to read one of them to you. Sometimes we close with the Lord's Prayer, and I want to do something different for the next few weeks. I love this little ver- these few verses from Ephesians chapter 1, and let me just pray this over you right now. Paul says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, I love you so much, and I pray that over our congregation this morning, would you give us wisdom to walk in this world in a way that is honoring to you? Would you reveal yourself in ways that excite us and draw us in closer to you and give us a greater glimpse of who you are, help us to know you better? Would you grow in us the hope that you're growing in us for what you can do in us and in the world? Would you share with us the riches that belong to those who believe in you. God, we know that there are no more wealthy people in the world than those who call you Savior and Lord. And you share with us and you bless us. And I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about the way you enrich our lives and our souls. And God, share with us some of that great power too. We want to experience the power of you in our lives. We thank you so much that Your word is not just empty theology meant for the halls of universities and institutions, but that your word is given to real people living real lives in a real world just like us, just like those Romans. And we ask you to lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's good. Amen.